Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 22, and so I want to invite you there and uh, feel free to um, grab a Bible off the back there if you don't have one. I believe it's page 883 if you're borrowing one of those Bibles. And by the way, if you need a Bible that you can um, just keep with you, a Bible that you can read and understand, feel free to take one of those copies back there. It's our gift um, to you. Hmm. Uh, I had a whole stack of papers. Hey, Sam. Can you run me that stack of papers? I had a whole stack of papers in my Bible, and I pulled some out thinking, and I pulled out my sermon notes too. So this is going to be really interesting. You just bring the whole thing. Sorry. Sam Henderson, ladies and gentlemen. Um, And, oh, good. There's the sermon notes. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Luke chapter 22. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can follow along. You find our live event and follow along right now. Uh, we're going to start in verse 54 here in just a second. Uh, in this particular series, we have uh, started this idea of following at a distance. That's the um, theme that we've been working with and working on following at a distance. Last week, we talked about uh, the whole NASCAR thing that when we kind of slip under, if you will, and get really up close to who Jesus is, that actually we draw life and energy like two cars that are dragged with one another. We draw life and energy from the one that we're following. And um, as well, last week, we talked about how uh, that invites us to prayer. We will end there today. I just want you to know, uh, we will end there today. It was a really sweet moment there last week uh, where some of you engaged, where you're like, man, I need to put some things before God. And that's good. That's good. And we will end there today as well, give you the opportunity to set some things uh, before God, following at a distance. Here's kind of the summary statement of the series. We'll do one more week next week as well. But following Jesus at a distance, it may be safe, maybe, maybe, but it is certainly not satisfying. It may be safe, but it is not satisfying. And there are moments we're going to see today where it's not even safe. We think that it might be but it's not even safe. So that's kind of what we're after. Today, uh, last week we talked about how it's an invitation to prayer. Today, we're going to look at Peter's life, see that phrase following at a distance, and we're going to see that it's also an invitation to witness. Everybody say witness. Witness. Okay. Now, if you kind of get all antsy up inside of you when that word comes out at church, I just want to set you at ease. Um, There's no guilt here. We're not like going to about anything here. We just want to hear the invitation of Jesus. Uh, to live as his witnesses. Uh, when you, typically, when you think about witnesses, there's, there's a couple of ways that you may think about this. The first one for me, hands down, went here. Everybody with me on that? Put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So I hope you got it. Yes, I do. Thank you. Please have a seat. And why would you be in that situation? Well, hopefully it's because, not because you're in trouble, but because maybe something else is trying to get settled. You were down here at the... Um, corner of Bay Area and 528. Two cars collided. You saw the whole thing. The policeman wrote down your name. The insurance people called you. The lawyer called you. You got an invitation to be a witness uh, at the court. And so you stand up and you tell a group that doesn't catch this. You tell a group that doesn't know what you saw and what you heard and what you experienced. That's the legal way of talking about this. There is a communication of facts. I was standing on this corner, the red car, the blue car, this same thing happened. This is how it all went down. The light was this color. You're communicating to a group that doesn't know, jurors, judge, whomever. Um, Hey, this is what happened, right? And the Bible um, uh, 
has a sense of that, but that's not really the way that the Bible talks about witness. The Bible talks about witness with a little bit more than just communication of facts. There's also a sense of the communication of the conviction of the pathos, however you want to say it. This sense like, hey, and this has radically affected me. And I'll just give you an example from my past week. Um, Monday, I went to lunch with my friend Mike, who's sitting over here, and we went to Torchy's Tacos. Anybody a friend of Torchy's? We're standing in line, and Mike begins to be a witness because I asked him, I said, so what are you going to get? He, uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to get this and this, but I'm waiting next week for this to come out. This is the creeper. Anybody a fan of the creeper? Anybody ever know what the creeper taco is? I didn't know either. Mike starts describing it to me. He's like, well, you got the meat. It's been uh, uh, marinated in this and you got the other stuff and there's pickled onions, which I'm not really a fan of, but nonetheless. And then he, he drops the, like the, the selling point, there is creamy ghost pepper sauce. Anybody a fan? Come on now. Just saying creamy ghost pepper sauce sets my mouth to watering. Are you with me? Anybody having this experience with me? I'm saying, now Mike's an engineer. Again, he's sitting over here and he's a dear friend. So he knows I actually asked permission to make fun of him. Um, <laughs> And he said, yes, that's how good of a friend he is. Mike's an engineer, so his emotional vocabulary is about four words. You know what I mean? <laughs> All of you engineers, listen, every one of you engineers, it's the same way. We're not making fun of you. We live with you, okay? Like, we get you. We understand you. It's okay. But what told the story was not the words. What told the story was his face as he's describing the creeper. Oh, and the, creepy, uh, the creeper is so good. Blah, 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 blah. Creamy ghost pepper sauce. And he starts talking about how he has experienced this and it has changed his life so much so that he is waiting until this week when the ghost pepper creamy ghost pepper sauce on the creeper taco is available so at some point this week he's gonna go and you know what at some point this week I'm gonna go too half of you are gonna go now we don't get a cut from Torchy's tacos okay I just need you to know this this is just genuine sermon illustration like there's no you know like other way I'm saying that to say this. The Bible talks about witness like that. It's not just facts. Here's what it's made out of. Here's what we saw. Here's what we know to be true. There's also something that comes up inside. We're like, yes, all of these things are true. And the creamy ghost pepper sauce has affected me in such a way that I have been waiting a year to talk about it. And I can barely talk right now because I keep saying creamy ghost pepper sauce and my mouth is watering. Like that's... That's the way that the Bible talks about witness. So when you hear invitation to witness, have that kind of thing in your mind. And th there's a reason why. N number one, this is whom Jesus made us to be. Peter writes later in his letter, and he says in First Peter in chapter 2 verse 9, he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who you are. And then it says this, that, so there's the statement of identity, here's the statement of purpose, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God made you this way, that you would speak this way. This is who God, it's who he has made us to be. Jesus said, you are salt and you're the, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. So this is who he made us to be. But secondly, also, 
Um, it's an invitation to witness, not only because it's who God has made us to be, but it's what we do naturally. We praise what we prize. The treasure of our hearts comes out in the speech that we give, the, 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 the way that we talk. And so um, this is a normal kind of way that God uses us, right? With the things that are in our heart and that we care about in our heart come out. Supernaturally, this works this way. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, Acts 1-8, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the end of the earth. So it is an invitation to witness. Now, this particular passage here, Peter runs into three different kinds of invitations, three different, if you will, questions. And the questions are for Peter and the questions are for us too. Okay. So chapter 22, verse 54. Then they, the guards, seized him. That him is Jesus. So the guards seized Jesus and led Jesus away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was doing what? He was following at a distance. He was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So you got the picture. Jesus is kind of in the housing complex. Peter's in the courtyard right out there, uh, just outside. Um, whether it's a square around the courtyard or uh, whether it's, uh, you know, kind of a true courtyard with the, the complex, the housing complex back behind. Nobody's exactly sure, uh, but he's, he's following. It's just he's kind of keeping his distance, thinking that it's safe. But Peter finds out very quickly that there's really no safe place. There's no, and so if, if we're not safe anywhere in this sense, like, then we need to be ready to be a witness everywhere. Here's the first question, verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said this. This man also was with him. Verse 57, but Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. I don't know him. So here's the first question for Peter and for us. Is your allegiance genuinely, truly to Jesus? Is your allegiance to Jesus. These opportunities um, to witness come up at the most inconvenient and inopportune and uncomfortable times. Has anybody ever noticed this? Now, there are other times when in a normal rhythm of life, these conversations happen and they're fantastic. There are other times when in the way that uh, our lives work and the way that we engage, it's perfectly easy to speak about who God is and what he's done for us. But the kind of opportunities that show up in our society typically are not always that easy. They show up at these inconvenient convenient and uncomfortable times. Here Peter is in the courtyard. Oh, you, you were with him. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, this is particularly interesting because just a few verses earlier and in the, in the timeline of the story, just a few hours earlier, Peter was all bragging and boasting. This is back in chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, he's talking about Peter. Jesus is speaking about Peter. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter, being Peter, popped off and said what? Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then like four hours later, with a little servant girl around a courtyard fire, hey, you're with him, right? <laughs> Woman, I don't know it. Not me. Opportunities to witness arise, not just when it's convenient and in the normal rhythm, but when it's inconvenient. 
and when it is uncomfortable. And I, I put that before you because um, I just want you to know, like, this is what Jesus said would happen. He, he has told us these things. He's told them before, hey, they're going to drag you before these kind of people. Don't worry. I'll tell you what to say in that moment. Hey, there's going to come moments that pop up where it may cost you something to stand or to speak. Or, and so don't worry about that kind of stuff. Like, it's going to happen, and I'll take care of you in that moment right there. These opportunities, are, are, um, these uncomfortable and inconvenient opportunities, these are what Jesus said would arise. And in that moment, here's what Peter believed. That it was going to be more, uh, it was going to be safer if, if he didn't speak up. And I thought, I was listening to a podcast this week and I thought, man, there's another guy just like this in the Bible. His name was Jonah. Like, if you don't know the story, Jonah, prophet called by God, hey, go and preach to these people they need to know. And Jonah says, oh, those people are to the east of me. I think what I will do is get on a ship going as far west as possible. None of us have ever had that response to God, right? Just checking in. Peter did the same thing. Peter and Jonah have this in common with us. There are moments when the inconvenient and the uncomfortable arises and we run. And we think we're running for our lives. But the truth is, is that we're running from our life. Is your allegiance to Jesus? And it doesn't come when it's in the upper room. Oh, Jesus, I'll go to jail with you. I'll even die. Your allegiance to Jesus gets tested and it gets shown when it is uncomfortable and when it is inconvenient. Sometimes it's easy, but that's not where your allegiance gets tested. Your allegiance gets tested when it's uncomfortable and it's inconvenient. That's the question for Peter, question for us. Second question, verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Second question. Uh, is your, or excuse me, are you associated with Jesus? Did you hear what he said? Like, you're one of them. You're one of them. You're one of that follower of Jesus thing. Peter would actually pick up on this later in his, first, in his letter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, If you suffer because they call you a Christian, then glory in that name. That's what he says. Are you associated with Jesus and his people? Now, there are times when... Uh, well, let, me, let me just positively say... Or excuse me, negatively say it. Um, there is power in exclusion. Has anybody ever noticed this before? And our world is bent. In case you haven't noticed this, our world, particularly our own society in the West with social media and everything else, our world is bent to think the worst about the person who is communicating and um, to absolutely do our best to exclude ourselves and, and exclude them from everything that we care about. It's like sitting at a junior high lunch table. That's our current state of dialogue. And so there is a real power in exclusion. Many of you have felt that. You felt the rejection of that where you tried to state something in conversation or respond to something in social media or whatever. And people are just, right? There is power in exclusion. Oh, I'm not, you're not one of us. And they they push you out. Jesus said, this is, this is going to happen. Happen to Peter. It'll happen to us too. There is power in exclusion, but also The flip side of that is there is power in bad examples because sometimes I don't like how people who claim Jesus act. Anybody else? 
People who say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then they get on TV, or they get on social media, or they get into a conversation, or they, they completely uh, swing and miss on an opportunity, and you're like, that's not the people of Jesus that I know and love. That's not the way of Jesus as he's laid out for us. And so there is power not only in exclusion, but also in bad examples. And so the temptation is both ways. I don't want to be excluded and I don't want to be counted among those bad examples. Because inevitably when you get in a conversation, oh, well, this, this, and this. And then somebody who's pushing back on you says, oh, well, what about? And then they fill in the blank. And then you feel like you have to defend yourself. There's power in bad examples. Here's what I would say to you, though. Are you, when it comes to this question of are you associated with Jesus, this is what I would say. You and I, we need to just go ahead and be about the business of doing what Jesus said was most important to do. We talk about it around here um, as a church family. One of the strands of our DNA is that neighbor is a verb. What if instead of arguing or worrying about what such and such said, or what, what if we just got about the business of neighboring? Would our world be better or worse? It'd be better. Would our witness personally and as a church be better or worse? It'd be better. Let's just, let's just get about the business of doing what Jesus said is best to do. Yes, there's power in exclusion. Yes, there's power in bad examples. Let's just get about the business of associating ourselves with Jesus and those who are walking with him. That's the second question. Third question, verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it says, because he had an accent from Galilee. So, uh, you know, if, if, you grew up, um, if you grew up in Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, everybody in that northern Midwest section of the country, they all have a funny way that they talk. Are you right? I mean, like, you know that they're from the upper Midwest. Yes? Everybody with me on this? You know, they have the funny way they say, you know, Minnesota. You know, you got that kind of thing happening there. You got that. If you grew up in the deep south, uh, there's a certain drawl that you have and a certain way that you, you know, can take a 10-word sentence and turn it into 28 minutes. You know how this goes? They don't speak normal English like we Texans do. And so uh, (laughs) you can identify them by their accent. This is what's happening here. Uh, Hey, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. There's a certain accent that he carried. And the way that I wanted us to think about this, this, this last question for Peter and for us goes something like this. Do you, and I'm quoting here, do you sound like Jesus? Do you sound like him? Again, I kind of put the quotes around sound here uh, because none of us speak Aramaic or Hebrew. I just like, do you sound like him? When you talk, do you sound like him? Could, Could people, by, if you will, our Christian accent, identify us with him? There's some areas. Some of them are more or less popular than others. One of them is ethics. When we speak like Jesus in the area of ethics, one of the things that we do is we hold to a standard. Why? Because he held to a standard. Ethics. I mean, he doesn't waffle or bend with the, the times. He doesn't uh, say, oh, goodness, I must be on the wrong side of history or what, any number of other things. 
He doesn't judge by those cultural standards. He says, what is it that my father said is best? That is the ethic that I am going to hold to, ethics. Second one, uh, to, to speak like Jesus, not just, it's, an, it's not just an ethical thing in all of our lives, but it's also, a, 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 we have this kind of exclus- this exclusivity about the way that we talk. Not, not like exclusion, I'm pushing people out, but exclusivity saying what Jesus said, there is only one way to God. Jesus said, um, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The cultural narrative is, uh, hey, we're all on our own journeys and blah, 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 and we'll all get to the top of the mountain at some point. Jesus is in the business of looking at you and me and saying, thanks so much for identifying the story that you're living in. I'm telling you, there is a different story that is the truth. And that is, there is only one way to be made right with God. Not by religion, not by um, self-actualization or mindfulness or anything else, there is only one way to be made right with God, and that is through putting our trust in Jesus, letting forgiveness come to us, and, uh, and giving, excuse me, experiencing the new life that he wants to give us, exclusivity. There's not many ways. There's one way. Th- third way is, is this sense of commitment or calling. Jesus says some crazy stuff, like, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. If you want to keep your life, what do you need to do? You need to lose it. Um, if you want to be first, you need to be last. You want to be great? Be the servant of all. Jesus talks crazy. But this, this commitment, this calling, is a call for people to die. And for us to speak like Jesus, to, to have a, if you will, like Christian accent, is not to say, hey, listen, if you'll just kind of uh, stick around and join this religious organization or act in this way, whatever. No, 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 no. The call of Jesus, the Christian accent, when it comes to the commitment section of our lives is to say, give everything in allegiance to him and he will give you life. All of these other things that we think are life, they're not life at all. What do, we, what do we need to do? We need to let go of those things and grasp onto him. We're swinging on the trapeze thinking this is our life. And Jesus says, let go. And the Bible word for that is repent. Let go of this and grab onto me instead. That's the call. That's the commitment. He calls people to come and to die. And when he calls people to come and to die, he also says, but there's life on the other side. How do we know that? Because Jesus came and he died. And what did he find? Life on the other side. The story didn't end Friday. Jesus, the, the story of Jesus has Easter as a part of it, has a resurrection as a part of it, and we get to experience that. So just quickly, what, what does this look like for us as a church family? Um, this invitation to witness. If you've been around here, you've seen this, we've used this a lot before, but I just want to set it before you one more time. There's this base level expectation of this culture of invitation. We would be a part of inviting people regularly to church. And it can happen quickly in the checkout line. It can happen over days and days and weeks and weeks of interaction. We just say, hey, listen, do you go to church anywhere regularly? We invite you to come to Heritage Park. We'd love to be, uh, I'd love for you to join us somewhere. And a personal invitation like that still has a lot of effect. So everybody can participate in that. 
Um, the second part of that, though, we don't just stop there. That's kind of the baseline expectation. But the rest of it, like the second part, and we're actually going to talk a lot about this in the, uh, in the fall uh, as we finish the book of Acts, uh, telling our story. God's given us a story to tell. How he's had mercy on you, how he has healed you, how he's um, blessed you, how he's provided for you, how he's worked in your life. All of these things. You have a story to tell. And so we get to be a part of telling that story. You get into conversation with someone as you're sitting at practice or, or in the workplace over lunch or wherever. And you tell your story about how God has sustained you, how he's taken care of you, how he's provided for you, how he's had mercy on you. And over and over and over again, we tell our story. But we don't even stop there. As the conversation allows, we say, hey, but my story doesn't make sense unless you know God's story. And we share the gospel that way. Man, Jesus is on a rescue mission because the world, including me in it, is broken. And all of our, the, the wreckage of our lives, man, it is just strewn everywhere. And so Jesus takes all of that wreckage, all of that pain, all of that sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt of that onto himself. And he dies in my place and for my sin. And he rises again to give me a different kind of life. And we get to share the gospel in that way. Now, that Christian accent it's not just a matter of what we say, but also how we say it. There are plenty of people who speak in ways, again, they don't sound like Jesus. They may be saying what he said, but they sound like Jesus. So we, we want to be the kind of people who sound like him, not only in content, but also in, in heart and spirit. And this is one of the ways, this is the primary way we as a church family have kind of embraced this. So there's maybe three or four different people kind of in the room here and, and Put a bow on this this way. Um, th- there's the person in the room who, man, you're you're spiritually full throttle right now, and you um, you 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 get the taco, and you know the facts about the taco, and you are living with the taco, right? You, this is a normal part of your experience. Good for you. You need a kind of grace that keeps you going that keeps you filled up and, and moving forward. You need God's activity to do that. There, there's a person in here um, who uh, maybe you've had those kind of experiences in the past, but things right now are pretty dry spiritually. Like you talk about the facts and you talk about your experiences, but it's kind of removed. It's distant. And you know what you need? You need the kind of, the kind of grace that re-engages you with his heart. Maybe there's some things that you need to deal with. Maybe you just need to open yourself up and go, God, I don't know what all is here, but I, I know I need you. There's the kind of person in here who um, you've had the opportunity to witness, and like Peter, you blew it. Anybody ever have that moment? I, I just quickly, I want to finish this story. 60, verse 60, Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately what happened while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then it says, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Somehow there was a way that Jesus, in the middle of his um, trial, in the middle of the beatings, he somehow locked eyes with Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And maybe that's where you are. You're like, oh, I have blown it so badly that if Jesus looks my way, I don't want him to look my way. I've got great news for you if you're in here today and you've thought, man, I've blown it. Three times Peter denied Jesus. In John chapter 21, three times Jesus comes to Peter and goes, do you love me? 
Do you love me? Do you love me? His grace is enough for every sin of our lives. Everyone. And not just, hey, I'm going to forgive you, but also when, when the church was birthed and the Spirit came at Pentecost, do you remember who stood up to preach the sermon? Peter did. So it's not just a matter of, of restoring you in a relationship. It's also a matter of readying you for usefulness. Some of you are in here and you need to open yourself up to God to receive his forgiveness, but also then to let him begin to ready you for, your use, for using you. Some of you are in here and you, you don't know anything about any of this. Those facts are not really facts at all. And, and what you need is just for your eyes to see what God has done. You, your eyes, your spiritual eyes to see the love that he has for you. Where does all that begin? It all begins in prayer. When we turn to God, we find grace. Uh, and and, and how, do, how do we turn to God? We turn to God in prayer. That's why last week we talked the whole time about how it's an invitation to prayer. I said this last week, and I just want to briefly recap it. Um, we were at family camp this year, and the, the guy who was like challenged us. He said, what if every day you started your day on your knees with your hands open to God and said, God, whatever you want, that's today. And so I, last week I challenged you, and I want to do again. You take on this practice of beginning your day where you bend down and you open your hands to God and you say, God, whatever you want from me today, I gladly give. And whatever you want for me today, I'll gladly receive. And that's where we're going to close. Some of you are in here and you're spiritually humming along. Awesome. You need grace that keeps you going. Some of you are in here and you are spiritually dry. You need grace that's going to refresh you. Some of you are in here and you, are, you have spiritually blown it. And you need forgiveness, restoration, and God's uh, work to ready you for what he has for you. Some of you are in here and you don't know about any of this. You just need to know that God is real and that he loves you as we've been talking about. And so we're gonna, I'm going to invite you. Maybe you want to come physically up here and kneel. Maybe you want to kneel here. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. There'll be folks at the back. Just open your hands to God and say, God, whatever you want from me, I'll give. Whatever you want for me, I'll receive. Let's pray together.